on RNZ National. Lovely to have your company. Thank you for your feedback too, by the way. Lots of call, uh, texts coming in regarding what do I call a Cantabrian, an Autotahian uh, mini say, but there's many others. And can I just, uh, I need to, to make an apology. Wallace, you ratbag, Nelsonite, WTF, is Nelsonian. Nelsonian uh, pull your socks up, for goodness sake. And, and I lived there for seven years, so what was I thinking? Anyway, um, the group called West Aucklanders Flooding is a, an independent group, has written an open letter to Mayor Wayne Brown, Auckland City Councillors and Henderson Massey Local Board. They want answers, saying many Auckland families can no longer live in their houses and now displaced and struggling with rent on top of the more that have to be paid. They want an urgent and workable solution, and they have ideas. With us is Lyle, Lyle Carter, chair of the WAIF group, West Aucklanders Flooding, Lark Yorta. Wallace. Uh, thanks for having us on. Pleasure. And we had Morgan, didn't we, last week from the group on the panel. He uh, bought right. his house in West Auckland in, what, 2021? At the height, mm. he's lost his house. Um, yes. How did you fare? Uh, we had uh, water come into our property, uh, but thankfully not into the house. So we were uh, we, we were pretty lucky compared to a, a heck of a lot of people out west and throughout the Auckland region. But you are next to a stream. Yeah, so we're pretty we're pretty next to us. We're pretty close to a stream, and that stream has been. Um, it's pretty overgrown and full of debris and bits and pieces that uh, that block it up and don't make it a very good oh. channel for water. Okay, so Lyle, just what are you and the group calling for? Uh, so with the open letter to uh, the Auckland City Councillors and to the local board, we're calling for um, complete rates relief for those uh, homes and homeowners that were impacted by the flooding and the Auckland anniversary floods and for those that were impacted by Cyclone uh, Gabrielle. Uh, The reason we are asking for uh, flood-affected homes to be uh, given rates relief is we we started out on on the process of of, uh, talking to our community and composing this letter, and we thought it was just red-stickered and yellow-stickered homes that could no longer be lived in. But as we got talking to our Community, we found out that there were there were a number of houses that were white stickered, that had had floodwaters go through them, that had uh, lost a kitchen or a toilet or significant flood damage. So that's why we're uh, we're asking for rates relief uh, in in a more broad sense than just sticking to yellow and red stickered houses. Okay, yes, so very significant issue. This one, Alan Blackman. Mm. Well, <clears throat> I mean, this is a tough one, isn't it? And, um, you know, I have every sympathy. Um, I live out west as well, out in Tirarangi, and, you know, we were very, very lucky that um, we managed to avoid uh, pretty much all of the bad stuff uh, that's going on. Um, yeah. I mean, so let's say if your house was destroyed, you know, if it, if it was just, you know, floated away in the floods or whatever... Um, Mm-hmm. Would would you still then pay rates on that? You know, what's what's the legal situation there if your house is actually physically destroyed and you've got nothing there to live in? Do you still have to pay rates on presumably what's left, just the section or whatever? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure on the legality of that. Uh, what we are asking for is is uh, for clarity and for 
an answer to be given by by councillors and local board around uh, around rates relief mm-hmm. because. I, I think most people would agree if you can't live in your home and you're not accessing the, the council services, mm, yeah. that you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to be paying for something that you're not receiving. And so these people have been displaced from their homes. Yeah, and and I think so often we get caught up. Uh, it, it seems like it's semantics that we're just using language when we say houses, but these are people's homes. Mm, these are people's mm. communities that they've been displaced from, and I think. To help them in a very trying time, mm. uh, rates relief is a good place to start. And what, <clears throat> what's the situation with um, people who are renting as well and can't get back into those homes? Have they got rent relief? You know, uh, are they, are they still having to pay rent? Yeah, I think um, I think there would be people in in different boats on that, mm. and individual different boats in that. I think that there's uh, potentially people that are unfortunately still having to pay rent. Ouch. Um, yeah. Generally, yeah, which, you'd, which, you'd be able to give is, notice on a rental property, so generally they would, yeah, they would be a yeah, gen- finite... Gen- generally, yeah, generally speaking, yeah. I would imagine that that would be, that, that would be the case. Yeah. Um, I was actually talking to two friends last night, one of whom has lost her home in Morawai and one lost her home in Christchurch, and there's two events, you know, 12 years apart. Oh. And I wondered if we've learned enough lessons and given that there will be more earthquakes and there will be more weather events do you think we need to take a whole look at what happens to people following these kind of things yeah i think i think there's lessons that have that <laughs> that have been learnt from the weather events that have happened uh, historically and even most recently and and that we as a society and um, as a community are learning these lessons um, in, 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 a, in a new and a fresh way. And I think taking what we've learned from the past, taking what we're learning from in the present, and then coming up with a plan uh, is the best way forward. But I think most importantly in all of this, uh, we have stakeholders around the table talking about this, but this is an urgent matter for the key stakeholder, which are flood affected. Yeah. So on that, families. this is this yeah. is this is people who are paying. You know, your next mortgage payment going out, and your next uh, that doesn't stop, and the rates are coming up. So mm. you've got to factor that, and and you can't live in your home, Lyle. So uh, who who have you talked to? Who are you talking to? Uh, so we we sent out the letter, and we've had uh, we've had a good response. And uh, we, we have officials have assured us that they are getting advice, and we will continue to put uh, to put this need before uh, the city, before the before the city of Auckland, before the councillors and the local board, and and to really get some some movement and and some answers around around this, especially around rates relief. Just on that, you mentioned the stream next to you, a little bit overgrown. Some of the anecdotes I heard around that area was that there was. We we talked to someone on that night. In fact, uh, no, the Monday after the the that massive deluge, who who lost his home in West Auckland, saying he'd been going on about the uh, lack of cleaning up the stormwaters for months prior, but nothing happened. What, what have you heard on that particular issue? Uh, so on the cleaning out of streams and rivers and culverts. Uh, what we're hearing from the residents, and and you know they're writing into us uh, on our social media and and also through our website, 
is what we're hearing is that people have been asking and asking repeatedly for these places to be cleaned out. We've got people ready to go to clean out these culverts and streams. And unfortunately, this number eight wire pioneering uh, sensibility that us Kiwis have to get in and get the job done, uh, we can't do it because health and safety and the RMA and the people want action and the people want to the families and residents in, in, in West Auckland that can see that these streams and rivers are just cluttered with things uh, want to be able to get in and do it, but unfortunately we can't. Well, it's very nice to have you on the programme, Lyle. Um, all the best. That's Lyle Carter, the mm-hmm. chair of the West Auckland um, West Auckland is flooding group. It's an independent group there. An open letter there. It's just heartbreaking, isn't it, Alan? I mean, I just, uh, uh, you know, I <coughs> saw a photo a before and after. I guess you could say of a um, member of this group who you know, took the shot of the sold sticker in their home a year and a half ago, and a year and a half later. Oh, the home's gone. Yeah, yeah. And it seems ridiculous that you can't go and clear a stream because of health and safety. Well, there's a, not a great amount of health and safety having your home flooded, so... Yeah, that's very true, yeah. I yeah. mean, you, if, if the council can't can't clean them up themselves, then maybe we do need a volunteer army of Some sort of volunteer people. army. Yeah. Yes, right, OK. Terry says, uh, you pay rates on the land, not the house. Uh, you oh, yeah, own point. an empty section without services. You pay rates and possibly a mortgage. Not paying rates would require a law change. It is 17 past four. You're on the panel on RNZ National. We have Nikki Pellegrino and Professor Alan Blackman with me this afternoon. Now, the Public Service Commissioner, Peter Hughes is to write to all board chairs of Crown entities to remind them of their impartiality requirements. This follows politically charged comments by board chairs Rob Campbell, who was sacked from his two positions, and Pharmac ACC chair Steve Mahari, who was not, although he did breach the political neutrality code of conduct. There's been Ruth Dyson too, the Deputy Chair of the Earthquake Commission and Fire and Emergency New Zealand, who tweeted last month, quoting, Oh no, it sounds like some cruel junior staffer gave Mr Luxon, Luxon the wrong speech. Hashtag Waitangi 2023. So, to what extent should you keep your own thoughts to yourself as a high-level public servant? With us is Peter Dunn, political commentator and <coughs> former leader, United Future. Kia ora, Peter. I want to bring this up to you because of decades of political experience. You'll have some insights, I guess. But can I just bring up this latest poll out an hour and a quarter ago? Taxpayers Union Curia poll. It's a fairly big one. For the first time in a year, Labour has taken the lead on 35.5%, up 1.1 points. What do you make of this? Uh, Is Chris Hipkins striking a chord with Kiwis? Well, he, he is to some extent, but you've got to look at the bigger picture of the poll. The Greens have dropped quite substantially, so Labour's clearly taking votes off them. And if you add the Labour-Green vote together, it's still short of the national act vote when it comes to forming a government, even though Labour would be the largest party in Parliament. So Chris Hickpins has made an impact, but he's still got a lot of work to do before he can look uh, to another term and control in the beehive. Yes, indeed. In fact, in fact, the smaller party is very interesting, isn't it, uh, Peter? You've got uh, uh, top 1.7%, New Conservatives 25 
Uh, New Zealand First polled 4.2, so not far away from that uh, 5%. <laughs> but here you have the Greens, Peter, just above the threshold in an era where talk is dominated by climate change. I mean, this is one poll, so you've got to be very careful about drawing a a general conclusion. But if I were the Greens, I wouldn't be concerned for this reason. Historically, the Greens have always done better in opinion polls than they have at election time. So if you're down hovering around the 5% mark in the polls now, uh, that's not a very promising situation election-wise. I think that will change. As I say, this is only one poll. But if you look at uh, an average of the polls over the last year or so, the trend is pretty clear. Uh, There's a shift back to the centre-right. It's it's largely got its nose in front. Uh, This poll doesn't change that. It changes around the deck chairs a bit. And so something's got to give before you can see that there's Likely, uh, a likely path back to uh, the beehive for Chris Hipkins and his team. Got it around the panel on this, anyone? Can we just rename New Zealand first Lazarus now and be done with it? <laughs> <laughs> You're very polite. <laughs> okay, that's enough. All right. Nikki? No, nothing to say. I yep. feel like there's a lot of polls to come. It's it it early days yeah. in the As race. As Peter Dunn said, yeah, that's right. Poll, uh, yeah. What does it really mean? Anyway, I just wanted to bring you in, uh, Peter, on this. With decades of experience in public service yourself, do you think public servants giving their own hot takes has that increased since social media? I think it probably has. I haven't done an absolute check on it, but I'm certain it has because the opportunities have increased. And I think also we're, we're in a much more uh, instant communication age, so it's easier for people to say things. That also increases the capacity for people to say unwise things. I mean, previously people in government appointments would have kept their mouths shut and not commented on contemporary issues, uh, as we've seen it unlike what we've seen at the moment. And I think that um, that's the change. And frankly, the response to it's been a bit all over the show. Uh, um, Rob Campbell gets fired, but Mahari, who offered to resign, gets retained. And Dyson, I just don't think, was quite aware of what she was, was doing. And I think she just was a lapse of judgment on her But Rob Campbell's, Rob Campbell's comments were fairly blunt, Mahari's at the lower end of the spectrum, and he put himself up. He, uh, he said, I'm offering to resign. Very different. Yeah. Well, I think, given what Campbell said, I mean, his position was untenable. But now we know a bit more of the backstory as to the reasons why he said those comments. It doesn't change the outcome, but it just puts more light on it. I think in Mahari's case, he's also a very experienced political operator, and he would have known where the boundaries were. And the fact that he tendered his resignation or attempted to tender his resignation, I think, is telling. I think it would have been a cleaner outcome all around, given the, the Campbell situation, for the government simply to have accepted Mahari's resignation and moved on. And okay. then the issue would have been reasonably quickly dead and buried. Some guidance from the Public Service Commissioner okay. about reading the contract was fine. Peter, I think at the moment, let the me moment jump in. I have out. a question. Yeah. We live in this era where... We have got so much access to hot takes. We can express our opinions on any number of platforms. Is it naive to think that public servants are going to be any different to the rest of us? Isn't it just better to know what they think? And realistically, you know, could we just not agree that we all hold differing opinions and we can still work with each other? Is this an outdated rule? There is something in that, but we we do have a code of conduct that these people uh, who take on these government appointments are bound by. 
and when they breach it, they've got to be accountable. Now, you may well say, is the code still relevant in today's circumstances? I think that's a separate debate. Uh, but as it stands at the moment, um, we've seen clear cases of breaches all dealt with in different ways. I'd like to hear the listeners, and that's a very good point, Nikki. Is this an outdated rule? We all in the in this modern age have opinions. Is just this, is this just really old school? Uh, Alan Blackman. Yeah, well, I mean, you could make a rule that you can't have um, XMPs in the public service, maybe, and that would uh, get rid of uh, Steve Mahari and Ruth Dyson. That would that would get rid of the problem. But the thing that amazes me in all of this, um, okay, so Steve Mahari, he's chair of Pharmac, ACC, and Education New Zealand. Rob Campbell's chair, or was, chair of Te Whara Order and the EPA, and Ruth Dyson's the deputy chair of the Earthquake Commission and the Fire and Emergency New Zealand. How the hell do they get time to do one of these jobs, let alone three. I don't understand this. No, I'm being deadly serious here. These are important positions that surely require a full-time appointment. So I don't don't get this. I don't understand how this all works, why why they've got multiple responsibilities for important jobs. Alan, you raise a really good point. The pool of, um, and this has always been the case because we're a small population, but the pool of people... Uh, to be appointed to these roles has been pretty small over the years. So it's the mm. same old names keep cropping up again. And I think we probably do need to look at whether whether that pool can be broadened, whether there are people with broader experiences that can be utilised. Mm. We have a sort of a profile as to who you want in these roles. And as I say, the pool of people who fit that profile <laughs> are pretty small, which is why you get the same old names. Yeah. And they usually come from the same old background. Yeah, yeah. No, fair point. No, fair point. very, very interesting stuff. Um, yeah, interesting stuff, whether or not this is an, a, an outdated rule, Nicky Pellegrino's idea that, you know, we all have opinions, we all have hot takes. But uh, I guess on another angle, uh, Peter Dunn, my question is also one of behaviour in a senior role. How can such senior public servants be so blind as to what is not acceptable. It does seem to be a no-brainer that you will not comment one iota on issues political. I think that's a fair point, particularly when the the Public Service Commission has got a code which it gives out to these appointees to read, and Ruth Dyson says she hasn't got around to reading it yet. It's only two pages long. It's not not a difficult exercise. Um, But, yeah, if you you sign up to these things, you know, you sign up to the rules, and uh, if you breach the rules, you expect the consequences. And I think that that what this has highlighted is there seem to be different consequences for different people. I bet if the Public Service Commission had made some of these comments, they'd be out the door tomorrow. Well, it's, yeah, I'm sure I can think of a number of other people who are perhaps less politically linked to the government who wouldn't who wouldn't get past base one. Mm. All right, yeah. Peter. Nice one. Thanks. Uh, that's uh, Peter uh, down there on this issue. That's so. That's interesting. Do you really believe that? Do you you wouldn't mind if uh, there's someone in charge of say ACC or Tifata uh, Order or uh, Education NZ or whoever. Put it, put whatever they thought on Twitter. Well, or I think, you know, LinkedIn. they have got opinions. They're not opinion-free wallflowers. So is it not just better to know what they are? We're not Victorians hiding the, you know, legs of the table. I've, I'm a bit more 
into transparency, I guess. And I also think we all need to learn to get on with each other's differing opinions <laughs> a little bit more. And as you say, you <clears throat> know where they stand. But you, you know, do anyway. If, if they're ex-MPs, you know where they stand. Yeah, they're not always. Because Ruth Dyson said, you know, I'm still Labour or whatever, you know. But that, in the case of Rob, which yeah. is a key role, you, yeah, you, you no, wouldn't fair necessarily. Point. Fair point, uh, because uh, he's not uh, an ex-poly. A massive career both in capital markets. Yes, and uh, unionism. And unionism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 27 past for the panel on RNZ National. Just a bit of feedback for you uh, today, because we've had quite a lot this afternoon. Back to tyres. Uh, I just about went off the road with these tyres. They were on my second-hand Outlander I bought from a dealer. My mechanic fortunately got me to change them pronto. They just slithered unexpectedly at random times. Scary. Uh, If you didn't hear that, we were talking about the danger of winter tyres at 3.45. Really worth... um, Checking back, if you go back to rnz.co.nz forward slash the panel and look at the pre-panel section, very interesting. Uh, I used to work in a, sorry, I work in a used tyre collection. We collect hundreds of brand new snow tyres, get scrapped every week by importers who often replace them. Such a waste, they should be replaced before they are exported to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And regarding um, Alan Blackman and whether or not, uh, or actually you're you're an Nelsonian, you're a Hamiltonian, <laughs> you're a Dunedin Knight, mm-hmm. you're an Aucklander. Yep. What is a person from Christchurch? Mm-hmm. Someone says, I'm from the Chur. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to let you know the correct demonym is in fact a Christchurcher. Oh, it is. I'm not an expert on this, but I believe the word church takes the suffix er from the Germanic influence, which was used to donate somebody or thing from a certain place. Ooh. So, um, listeners, you might agree or disagree on that. Um, so, it's not, in fact, Cantabrian, the correct. No. You can have, say, Ototahian, uh, perhaps, but mm-hmm. a Christchurcher is. Goodness. Uh, Okay, well, there, yeah, you, go. there my, you go. My question is 2101, is that person right? By the way, um, Black Caps versus Sri Lanka, first test, Christchurch, day one, uh, Sri Lanka, um, 209 for three. And all the Christchurches are watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, there's, doesn't there's roll something off the wrong yeah, about it. That that's the problem, mate. Doesn't Cantabrian, that rolls, yeah? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, it doesn't refer to people specifically from Christchurch. That's my point. All right. Now, just after the 4.30 headlines and the music, I do want to get briefly to this. I want to get our panellists' take on whether or not it's a good idea for uh, your pet to sleep on your bed with you. Is it uh, actually just wonderful and and, 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 and it's loneliness or is it just downright disgusting? You're on the panel. 